0: And once again good morning, good to see you all. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 5? If you're new with us, we welcome you and just to let you know we are working our way through John's Gospel here at Calvary on Sunday morning. We came to chapter 5 last week and as I was doing some studying for the chapter, I realized that a lot of scholars believe chapter 5 could be the greatest chapter in John's Gospel. Now. There's so many great chapters in my mind, um, I found that kind of hard to understand, and yet I I think I know where they're going. And we will look at that in the weeks to come. But last week, we started looking at chapter 5, which began with a story of a man who had been crippled for 38 years with some kind of infirmity. We're not told what it was, but he had trouble getting around. Maybe he was completely crippled, we don't know. But uh, Jesus found him lying by the pool of Bethesda. And asked him if he wanted to be healed. And then basically said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. We picked the story up in verse 9. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Well, who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn himself, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Couple things, whenever you see in John's gospel the word Jews, he's usually talking about the Jewish leadership, scribes, Pharisees, chief priests, and so on. Last week we said, and we'll study this more in detail in John 9, last week we said that not everybody who is sick has committed sin. Uh, You know, sin can't be traced back, original sin, that's the reason we all get sick. But I'm just saying that, you know, if a person is handicapped or born with some kind of infirmity or acquires some illness, it, 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 it's not all the time going to be traced back to sin in their life. Although in this man's life, Jesus basically tells us that his condition was brought about by some sin in his life. Whatever that was, we're not told. The man knew what it was. And Jesus said, look, um, go and sin no more lest something worse happens to you. Now, as we said last time, guys, that John makes it a point to tell us that Jesus did this healing on the Sabbath was no accident. He's letting us know that it was Jesus' uh, Sabbath violations. I'm putting the word violations in quotation marks. Uh, Jesus' apparent Sabbath violations. Uh, It was that that escalated the hatred of the Jewish leadership toward him throughout the remainder of his ministry. Cult, uh, culminating in uh, them blackmailing Pilate to have the Lord crucified. Remember how they blackmailed Pilate? Pilate didn't want to do it. He thought Jesus was a innocent guy. And they put the pressure on Pilate, blackmailing him, and finally he acquiesced and uh, ordered the Lord's crucifixion. But in this story, not only did Jesus heal this man on the Sabbath, but then had the audacity to tell him to take up his bed, which was really a sleeping matter, a bedroll, okay, and carried away. Well, this caused the Jewish leadership to come unglued. And uh, their simmering animosity towards Jesus, and that's what it was. It had been simmering for a while, but here it starts to turn into a full-blown, boiling, murderous hatred. And John tells us in verse 16 that it was all connected to him working on the Sabbath. For for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Now, to understand what the Sabbath was and why the Jews felt so strongly about it, we need to go back into the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, it's also called the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. Torah means law. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter five. There's a parallel passage in Exodus 20, but we'll read the one out of Deuteronomy 5, starting with verse 13. It says, "God it says God's law now." for the Sabbath, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, your cattle, and and uh, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that that your male servant and female servant may rest as well as you. So, When God originally gave the Sabbath law, it was a very simple concept. You work your field six days. And uh, the seventh day, the Sabbath, Saturday, you took the day off. You rested. Your animals needed to rest. Your servants needed to rest. And you needed to rest. So the principle was an easy one to understand. Take the day off so you could physically rest and recuperate. And while you're at it, spend some quality time with the Lord was the idea. And so as a part of the written law of God... Now, I'm thinking of the Ten Commandments now, not the whole law of God. but is, is When this, God gave the Sabbath law, uh, he gave it in the context of the Ten Commandments. And if you were to go back in Exodus 20, when God first gave this law, and I have, I counted the actual number of words in the English, 60 words. 60 words, that a very simple, succinct law, Sabbath law, containing 60 words in English. However, the rabbis took a simple concept and turned it into an unbearable burden. As they began to interpret, over the years, but as they began to interpret what God meant, careful when you try to interpret what God meant. I know what he said, but here's what he meant. Careful. But when they began to interpret what God meant when he said they were to rest on the Sabbath, well, it eventually led to 24 chapters in the Talmud being devoted to the concept of what constituted Sabbath rest. I'll give you a little flavor, okay? I mean, 24 chapters. I'm not going to read them all to you. But I'll give you a little flavor of what they came up with. They said a person couldn't carry any object on the Sabbath that weighed more than the dried fig. So if you wore false teeth, you'd have to take them out on the Sabbath or else you'd be in violation of Sabbath law. And yes, they had false teeth back then. I checked. False teeth were invented in northern Italy seven centuries before Christ, so they had them. But you couldn't wear them on the Sabbath. If a person wore a wooden leg. And they'd have to remove it on the Sabbath. Man or woman, otherwise, if you kept that wooden leg on, you were guilty of carrying a burden and violating the Sabbath. Of course, nothing could be bought or sold, and clothing couldn't be dyed or even washed on the Sabbath. No fire could be lit or extinguished, or extinguished, including a fire for a lamp, although a fire that was already lit could be used. And so that's why Orthodox Jews today will use automatic timers on their lights. Remember the Jewish day begins at sundown. And if they forget to put on the lights before the sun goes down, they have to spend the night in the darkness. So they have these automatic timers that turn on their lights for the Sabbath. If you go to Israel, they have Shabbat elevators. You're in a 10 or 15 story hotel. Well, you know, they can't press the buttons on the Sabbath that's doing work. So they have one Shabbat elevator you get in and press the button, and it stops at every floor automatically, so you don't have to press buttons. Or they don't press buttons to start the thing, but you get in, doors closed, and, you know, that's how it works, right? But the, but the rabbis went on. You couldn't look into a mirror on the Sabbath because you might see a gray hair and be tempted to pull it out, and that'd be doing work. You'd be violating the Sabbath. You couldn't take a bath on the Sabbath. Why not a bath? Well, you could spill water on the floor. That would be washing the floor. Clear violation of the Sabbath. Can't do it. And if a person became ill on the Sabbath, and this was, (laughs) you were a doctor back then, this was rough, okay? If a person became ill on the Sabbath, you could only give enough treatment to keep that person alive, but do nothing more to help them heal. Now, how do you determine that? Okay, whoops, messed up on that one, didn't quite give him enough to keep him alive, got passed away, right? But on and on it went, page after page, chapter after chapter, of what the rabbis interpreted Sabbath rest to mean. But of course, you probably figured it out. The Sabbath had become anything but a day of rest. The scribes and Pharisees had so loaded it down with rules and regulations that the people dreaded the Sabbath every week. Instead of being the greatest blessing of the week, it had become the biggest burden. And yet, and yet, they loved the Sabbath. The Jewish people in general and the leadership in particular still, even though it was a burden, still zealously embraced it, defended it, and enforced it. Why? You have to understand how sacred the Sabbath was to the Jewish people. It was a sign of the covenant that God made with Moses and the children of Israel from Mount Sinai when they first came out of Egypt. The Sabbath, listen to me, was the one thing the one thing that separated the Jewish people from every other nation on the face of the earth. You say, what about circumcision? Well, they really revered circumcision too as a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. But in my studies, I discovered that other cultures practiced circumcision. It wasn't unique to the Jewish people, but the Sabbath was. The Sabbath, that one law in the minds of the Jews separated them from every other nation on the face of the earth because that's what they were God's special people turn to Exodus 31 in Exodus 31 God is speaking to Moses who was up on Mount Sinai and in verse 12 It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me. A covenant always had a sign. Uh, The Mosaic covenant had the sign of the Sabbath. And God is saying, You shall keep my Sabbaths, for it is a sign between me and you, throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord, who sanctifies you. The term sanctified means set apart. And that's what God is saying. I have made a covenant with you, the people of Israel. I have set you apart from every other nation on the face of the earth to be my people, my chosen people. And as a sign of that, you are to observe the Sabbath. Verse 14, You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death verse 16 therefore the children of israel shall keep the sabbath to observe the sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant sign of the covenant verse 18 and when he had made an end of speak an end of speaking with him on mount sinai he gave moses two tablets of the testimony ten commandments tablets of stone written with the finger of god so now you begin to understand why they revered the Sabbath. And so one of the reasons that the Jewish leaders hated Jesus, one of the reasons, now there were other reasons, but one of the reasons the Jewish leaders hated Jesus so much and wanted to kill him was because they believed he sought to undermine and ultimately destroy the covenant that God made with his people, the symbol of which was the Sabbath. And they believed it because, in their minds, Jesus was going all over the place, violating the Sabbath. He's healing on the Sabbath. He's doing good for people on the Sabbath. He even tells a guy he has just healed from being lame, take up your bed and walk away on the Sabbath. So in their minds, they're thinking, this guy's a renegade. He's a rebel. He's trying to undermine and destroy the very covenant God made with the people of Israel. Now, come on, let me just say this. They weren't so zealous for God as they were zealous for their own power and authority. If Jesus destroyed Judaism, the Mosaic Covenant, it also destroyed them as spiritual leaders. They no longer had their cushy jobs, making a lot of money on the side and so on. It, it, believe me, they were not so zealous for God as they were zealous for their own interests. Okay, But Jesus was a threat to them. In their minds, he was all about trying to destroy the law. Now, at one point, he stops and says to them in Matthew 5:17, Look, I haven't come to destroy the law. I've come to fulfill it. And by the way, he was the only one who could fulfill the law. Because Jesus Christ, being the sinless Son of God, was the only one who could live a totally sinless, righteous life, thus keeping the law perfectly. And he did that, not just for himself, but for us. Not just for himself, but for us. But you need to understand. You just need to understand this as we proceed jesus never violated the sabbath as god intended the sabbath he only violated their interpretations of sabbath law and as i said earlier in our text jesus violated two sabbath laws in the minds of the jewish leadership first he healed a man on the sabbath as we said that was illegal couldn't heal somebody on the sabbath stopped the bleeding they fell down and got hurt, but you couldn't do anything to heal them. Jesus healed this guy. And then, number two, he told him to carry his bed. Carry his bed. Now, first of all, God never intended for his people to rest from doing good and helping someone in need on the Sabbath. God never intended that. Turn to Matthew 12. Matthew 12, starting with verse 9. Now, when the Lord uh, had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. So he had some kind of a problem with his arm, uh, paralyzed or withered uh, in some way. Couldn't use it, obviously. And they asked him, saying, now the, the, the scribes and Pharisees seem to have set this up apparently they knew jesus better than a lot of christians know jesus what do i mean they knew that jesus wouldn't could not overlook a person in need it just wasn't in his nature to ignore somebody in need and as soon as he walked into that synagogue they knew he would be drawn to the person with the greatest need and so he would be he would desire to heal this man and that was the plan Get him to heal this guy so they could use it to accuse him of break, breaking the Sabbath and ultimately have him destroyed. So, you know, guy with the withered hand was there, and so these uh, religious leaders, holy men, right, asked him and said, um, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? He said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it? Immediately is the idea will not you know, immediately pull it out of this pit of how much more value then is a man than a sheep. Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Now in the parallel passage, you don't have to turn to it, Mark Three. same same incident okay and after they said to jesus is it lawful to heal on the sabbath at one point he turns it right back on them and says to them is it lawful on the sabbath to do good or evil to save life or kill but they kept silent and listen when he had looked around at them with anger This is the righteous anger of the Lord of glory. Looking at these supposed religious holy men who who represented God but didn't care about people. When he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. And so they went out and plotted how to destroy Jesus, the Pharisees did. Guys, again, God never intended the Sabbath to be a time where the Jews rested from helping people or from doing good. And when people, excuse me, and so when Jesus healed on the Sabbath, listen, it was not a violation of Sabbath law. Secondly, about the guy carrying his bed mat, when it came to carrying a burden on the Sabbath, which God forbid in his law, of course, most scholars believe that what God had in mind when he told people they couldn't carry a burden on the Sabbath was a burden associated with their line of work or occupation. In other words, if you were a roofer, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't hoist up to a, uh, the roof uh, the bales of hay or whatever you used to thatch the roof. Uh, if you were a merchant, you couldn't uh, load your cart up with goods and take them to the marketplace and set it up. You couldn't do any work associated with your occupation. You weren't to work on the Sabbath and make money. Uh, Read Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 15. kind of makes this clear, okay? Um, the, The issue is definitely not, you can't wear your false teeth on the Sabbath, all right? It's just that people couldn't carry out their jobs on the Sabbath. So Jesus, during his earthly ministry, never violated or broke Sabbath law. Understand that. Only their faulty man made interpretations of what constituted Sabbath law. Besides, as God in human form, he was, the, he was the one who gave the Sabbath to Israel in the first place, right? I mean, he was the one who spoke from Mount Sinai, giving the law, including the Sabbath, to Moses to give to the children of Israel. He's the, the one who instituted the Sabbath. And he is the only one who had the authority to suspend Sabbath law or to abrogate it altogether if he chose to do so. Which brings us to our second main point. We've seen the Sabbath law. This one is the Sabbath Lord. Verse uh, Mark chapter 2, if you turn there. In Mark chapter 2, starting with verse 23. Now you have to understand, Jesus and his disciples are on their way to some place to minister. And the guys were hungry. They probably hadn't eaten all day. And so they're walking through a person's, uh, you know, another Israelite's grain field. And so the disciples start pulling the grain off of the stalk. And of course, that's harvesting, right? Then they would thresh it in their hands. By rubbing the grain together, that would loosen the chaff from the actual grain. That was called threshing. Then they would open up their hand and go, whoosh, lightly blowing it, would would blow the chaff away so they could put the grain in their mouth needed. That was called winnowing, okay? Now the Pharisees, first of all, let me say this. You say, well, what about stealing? Here they're in somebody else's field taking grain. No, that wasn't stealing. God said in his law that if you were out uh, and about walking in a journey, and you came to uh, a Jew's land with grain on it, and you were hungry, you could take and you could pull off enough grain to satisfy your hunger. You weren't breaking the law. God says, I'll take care of you. You let uh, the travelers who are hungry eat from the grain in your field. I'll, I'll bless you. You just couldn't take a sickle into your neighbor's field and start harvesting bunches of sheaves to bring home. Okay? Couldn't do that. That was against the law. So, so here, are these you know, Jesus' disciples and him are walking through these grain fields. Verse 23, on the Sabbath, of course. <laughs> and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of the grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do... the Pharisees were, were flanking Jesus and his disciples everywhere they went. He said, well, where did the Pharisees come from? They're walking right there. Okay, they're always shadowing the Lord and his disciples. Because they're looking for something to accuse him with, right? So they're right there, and they see the whole thing. And, uh, you know, why are you letting your disciples do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Verse 25, But Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him? And uh, he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now, in this passage, the incident that Jesus speaks of is when David and his men had to quickly get out of town because David found out Saul was trying to kill him. This was a running thing for 10 years. And, uh, you know, Saul sometimes got pretty close. And uh, this time, he got kind of close to to killing David, and David got word, and so he and his men bolted, but they forgot to take provisions. They had to leave so fast. So they wound up in the tabernacle uh, and talked to Abiathar, who was the high priest. Now, him and David were good friends. And he says to the priest, look, we left so, in such a hurry. We didn't bring any provisions. Have you got any food here? And Abiathar says, well, David, all I've got is the showbread. Now, what was the showbread? God said in his law that every week, 12 fresh loaves of bread were to be baked, one for each of the 12 tribes, and put in the tabernacle, later the temple, on a small golden table that sat to the right when you walked in. It was called the table of showbread. And after, and every week, of 12 fresh loaves were baked, put on this golden table, and the 12 loaves from the week before could then be Uh, Taken and given to the priest to eat. God says the priest may eat of these old loaves, but nobody else. It was the law of God. Only the priest could eat it. Well, on this particular occasion, an exception was made uh, for David and his men who were very hungry, weak from hunger, really. And so Abiathar said, look, all I've got is the sacred bread of presence, the showbread, but you can have it, David. And, uh, And he said, well, that was a violation of God's law. Yes, but God didn't mind his law, ceremonial law, to be suspended for a little while to meet the needs of people that were hungry. And you notice if you read the story, God never reprimanded David or Abiathar. He never uh, sought to punish them. It was perfectly acceptable to God when these men were in need for God to supersede or to set his law on the side, suspend, I should say, suspend his law for a time, so that uh, David and his guys could have some food to eat, human need always supersedes the laws of God, which they're always intended to help, not hurt people. Now of course the scribes and Pharisees who were total legalists who cared more about legalism and laws than they did people, they, they had no heart for people and so all they found fault they just found fault with Jesus for healing people on the Sabbath. they should have known that the law was given to help people, not hurt them. Even as Jesus affirmed in Mark 2 verse 27 when he said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, God's original intent when he gave the Sabbath law was to benefit his people by giving them a day of rest and not to hurt them or purposely make their lives difficult. See The Pharisees and scribes had turned it into man was made for the Sabbath. Man has to serve the Sabbath. And that was wrong. That was wrong. One author put it this way, said, and I quote, The scribes and the Pharisees knew nothing of love for God or for men. They were legalistic functionaries, trapped in their own system of endless, futile traditions. Instead of fulfilling the law by loving their neighbor as themselves, Leviticus 19:18), they attempted to fulfill the law through loveless and lifeless traditions, end quote. And guys, that is the problem with religion in general. With religion in general. You know, religion claims to help people draw near to God. But in reality, it often does just the opposite. It puts up barriers between God and people through all these petty laws and rituals and ceremonies and and traditions. Laws that actually keep people from coming to God. You know, I was just reading this week an article by Pastor and Evangelist Greg Laurie. And of course, Greg was right there at the heart of the Jesus movement back in the 60s and 70s. At that time, Greg was a teenager and lived on the beach, beach bum, you know, getting high and just all the stuff that they were doing back then. And these kids were really lost, okay? And uh, Greg uh, likened the way it was back then to the way it is today. Uh, Just like it was back then, we're a nation divided today. Uh, You have people that are angry, people that... Uh, you know and back in those days they were uh uh they were marching they were even bombing r o t c buildings and and police uh headquarters uh it was a real uproar a real social unrest back then and yet through, and young people just were so lost they had no church upbringing they had, didn't have god in their life and so they just got into drugs and sex and uh and uh, it led to a lot of nasty things but greg was saying right about the time it looked the worst God began to move he poured his spirit out and the Jesus movement was born and God began to touch these kids God began to reach these kids they began to get saved and so God began to tug in their heart to go and seek out God well if you're a hippie teenager you've never gone to church you don't know know, you're trying to find God now because you have a heart to know him where would you go? You go to church, right? That's where God lives. In the church, right? So these kids went to church with their long hair, tie-dyed T-shirts, bell-bottom jeans, sandals, no socks. And they and I heard this. I've heard this story from a number of people. One of the guys I actually know personally it happened to. They went to these churches and were met at the door by deacons and assistant pastors and told these kids, "When you go home, cut your hair." Change your clothes. Put on a three-piece suit. You come back and you can be a part of this church. See, there are traditions. Somebody said Jesus looked more like one of the kids in the '60s than he did anybody who lived and went to church in in these days. Three-piece. Jesus never wore three-piece. He wore a robe. A lot of these kids wore robes. Uh, You know, just they looked like apostles. All right, um, but because of their traditions, instead of helping these kids find God, they were pushing these kids away. A lot of them never came back to church. They never came back. They thought, if this is what church is, I don't want nothing to do with church or with God. Now you've heard me say this. Let me say it again. I don't care. Apparently, these church leaders back in the '60s and all, they forgot what God said to Samuel the prophet. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks upon the heart. And I really don't care if a person wants to know God, I don't care what they look like. They can come in here with purple hair, all tatted up, face studs everywhere. If they're here because they want to know God, we welcome them. We welcome them. Because the heart is all that matters. I could care less about, you, know, unless, of course, they're coming in half naked, then we, we encourage them to You know, cover up. But apart from that, I don't care what they look like. God doesn't care. He looks at the heart, right? Now, with regard to violating the Sabbath, Jesus also says something that was very significant. Back in Matthew 12, he says to these same religious leaders, Matthew 12, verse 5, Or have you not read in the law? You love the law so much, let's talk about the law. Have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. Jesus Christ is showcasing the contradiction in the scribes and Pharisees' theology. On the one hand, They condemned Jesus for working on the Sabbath by healing folks, you know, by healing them on the Sabbath, which in the minds of the scribes and Pharisees was a definite violation of Sabbath law. But then these same men turned around and taught that the priests were obligated to work in the temple on the Sabbath. If you know anything about the sacrifice that went on back then, they had to butcher these animals, lift the carcass up onto the brazen altar of sacrifice, light the fire, burn the animal to God, and so on. So a lot of work that went into being a priest back then. And yet, of course, they were blameless. Jesus they profane. You know, by your reckoning, they profane the Sabbath because they're working. Oh, but no, they're priests, the Pharisees would say. They're not profaning the Sabbath. They're serving the Lord on the Sabbath. And Jesus caught them. He caught them. And basically said to him, look, and let me just say this. Not only was it acceptable for these priests to serve God on the Sabbath in the temple. Well, it was mandatory. I mean, they were commanded by God as his servants to do so. And uh, Jesus points out this dichotomy and uses it to prove that serving God on the Sabbath, whether you're a priest or whether you're just an average Jew, Helping someone in need is not a violation of Sabbath law. Again, in fact, it's not only acceptable in the eyes of God mandatory because it falls under the God's law. God's law in Leviticus 19 verse 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So look, if on the Sabbath you're hungry, I mean, you know, you're, you're really hungry. Uh, is it wrong to feed yourself? Of course not. If you needed medical care, Well, you think it was wrong for you to receive medical care. You fell down and were bleeding pretty good. Well, of course not. And Jesus, you wouldn't even, your animal falls into a ditch and you wouldn't hesitate to pull them right out. Why do you have this problem with, you know, with helping people? You know, why are they, on Jesus' case, in fact, in verse 6 of Matthew 12, he tells them that the work that he was doing, which is really the work of the kingdom, We've talked about this. In the Old Testament, God prophesied that when Messiah came, he would heal the sick. He would cause the blind to see, the lame to walk, and so on. Here Jesus Christ is doing the work of the kingdom of Messiah. He's proving that he is the Messiah, doing the work of the kingdom on the Sabbath. And yet they have a problem with him helping people and healing. In fact, what he said in verse um, 6, when he said... Uh, In um, uh, Matthew 12, Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. In other words, guys, look, if you guys, you Pharisees and scribes, you have no trouble with a priest serving God under the Old Testament economy, sacrificing animals and so on. Why do you have a problem with me, the great high priest of the new covenant, serving God on the Sabbath? I'm doing it by healing the sick and the lame. Then Jesus reminds them of this bombshell out of the book of Hosea. Matthew 12, 7. He quotes it. He says to them, but if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That comes out of Hosea 6, verse 6. You would not have condemned the guiltless, Jesus is saying to these leaders. What Jesus is saying, guys, is that the law With its animal sacrifices, as important as it was to the Old Testament economy, listen, was never intended by God to supersede love and mercy towards others in need. And therefore, Jesus said, you scribes and Pharisees wrongly have condemned many for breaking the Sabbath, who were simply showing mercy to others by helping them on the Sabbath. The very thing you're now accusing me of doing. Violating the Sabbath when I'm really helping people on the sabbath so guys we've seen the sabbath law we've seen the sabbath lord and finally we won't even have time to get into this too much well to look at the sabbath lesson as we have just seen jesus referred to himself as lord of the sabbath in mark two twenty-eight, an inescapable claim of deity on the part of jesus and uh, we will see that expanded on in more detail later on in chapter 5. But here's an important lesson about the Sabbath that Jesus and later on Paul the apostle taught, and that is this, don't miss this. Not only did Jesus as the Lord of the Sabbath institute the Sabbath. Guys, he himself is the Sabbath. He himself is the Sabbath. Something he alluded to when he said in Matthew 11:28, "Come to me all you who labor And are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I have to end there. Okay. Uh, I wanted to get this message in one one time. Okay. Um, I'm on page eight of my notes. I've gone all the way to page thirteen. So unless you want to have lunch and come back, okay? (laughs) But here's why I know you're going to want to come back. Most of this message has been informational, right? Information. Good stuff. You need to know this. But the greatest part of this message is going to be application. And I'm going to give you, based on what we've studied so far, I'm going to give you the secret for living the Christian life. That piqued anybody's interest? Okay? I'll be honest with you, it really isn't a secret. The New Testament uh, clearly teaches it, but a lot of Christians don't understand it, don't realize it. But if you understand the concept of Jesus being our Sabbath rest and the practical implications it has for us in living our Christian life, you're going to be taken back. Okay? That's why, you know, I know... When I said last week, we're going to spend a week, two, studying the Sabbath, well, some of the folks aren't here today because they probably said, I'm not going to listen to the Sabbath. I don't care about the Sabbath. It doesn't affect me. There's a spiritual aspect and application of the Sabbath that you need to understand, all rooted in the idea of Jesus being our Sabbath rest. So come on back. Uh, Now, next Sunday, we have a special guest coming out. My son-in-law, Zach, Uh, it's his dad, Ray Carter. He's a pastor of Calvary out in uh, Lake Havasu City, Arizona. And Ray's going to be in town with his wife, uh, uh, Zach's mom, Lisa, and uh, one of his ex-brothers, Caleb. We're excited to see him. And Ray is a great teacher. You're going to want to be here. He's a lot of fun, but he teaches the truth. So come on back. And then the week after that, God willing, we will get into this application of the Sabbath and how it is really the secret for living the Christian life. So come on back. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that it's truth. And we thank you, Lord, that, you know, not really buried in your word, not really hidden, it's not a secret, but there are principles that you've given us for living the Christian life in power and victory. So often, Lord, we read your word, but we don't see these principles. And therefore, we're trying our best to live our Christian life in our own strength, trying harder to be good Christians, when that really is a self-defeating uh, prospect. We need your grace, Lord, and we ask that you would, uh, Lord, bring forth the rest of this message of the power of your spirit, and that, Lord, you would teach all of us what the secret is for us living the life the Christian life with power and victory for your glory. We thank you, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.